Choice Bank's People First Podcast, Episode 7. Hi, and thanks for joining us for Choice Bank's People First Podcast series. Every year, we sift through hundreds of stories, all featuring the wonderful things that happen when our team members put people first. We've selected a few of our favorites and turned them into podcasts, and we're so excited to share this one with you. Keep listening. There are five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Not everyone goes through them in order, but in some way, those five are usually there after a major loss in your life. And when that loss is sudden and unexpected, you can add one more feeling to the mix, shock. I think one of the biggest things would have been um What do we do now? That's Bridget Spitzer. She's one of four kids, including her brother Chad and twin sisters Brittany and Brooke. All four of them got on the phone to talk about their own grief, still fresh from last fall, the sudden loss of their father, Stanley. In this story, we take a look at what happens in the aftermath of sudden loss and how one relationship in particular the friendship between Stanley and his banker, Gerald, helped the Spitzer family when they needed him most. Stanley Spitzer grew up in Streeter, North Dakota. He went to Valley City State University and earned a teaching degree in business and physical education. In 1980, he married Joyce Larson and together they raised their family in Streeter. They were married for 38 years. Throughout Stanley's varied career, which included teaching, coaching, accounting, owning and running a gas station, and ranching, he was also the Medina Post Office Rural Mail Carrier. He started in 1992, and that's how he met Gerald Horner, a loan officer at Choice Bank in Medina, a few years later in 1995. I started here the same time he started at the post office, basically, and uh, it just kind of, the relationship just grew. The two connected easily, in large part because they were both ranchers. Stanley grew up ranching with his father. When he met Gerald, his father had recently passed away and he'd taken over ranching on his own. A ranch, mind you, not a farm, as his wife Joyce reminded. Stan hated the name farm. He wanted to be called a rancher. Gerald had a passion for ranching himself. In fact, although ranching and finance may not seem to go hand in hand, Gerald finds the two give him a unique ability to relate to his customers. I always tell him, I'm not your typical banker. Um, I, I will say that Stan and I had a good connection. It was almost a natural connection because we both worked off of our ranches and we had a lot in common. But it was really a unique relationship, which I truly enjoy. Gerald quickly became more than a banker, but a friend and business consultant for Stan and his family. For decades, Stanley would consult Gerald on his decisions for the ranch, and Gerald would thoughtfully consider and offer his best advice. Here's Joyce. I have to say, um, I know our farm would not have been um, as successful as it was in these last years without Gerald, because Gerald pushed Stan to um, take out a loan for this. Stan was a very conservative German and uh, didn't want to spend any money he didn't have, but 
having Gerald there to back him up and uh, to show him the figures, that's where we got to know him very well, not only as a banker, but as a, just a good friend. Even the kids remember Gerald being the go-to guy. When their dad was making a decision, he could often be heard muttering, what would Gerald do? Here's Bridget. When I would talk to dad about our cows, and common line out of dad's mouth was, let me see what Gerald thinks. Brooke shared a short story that demonstrates the type of relationship between Stanley and Gerald through something that happened a lot to Stan, butt dialing. One year, I don't know, maybe it was like two or three years ago, we were working cattle and I was with dad and um, dad really liked to butt dial people a lot. And, um, <laughs> it seemed, and he, I think he called, he looked at his phone and he's like, oh, wow, Gerald texted me. Oh, I called him like 15 times. <laughs> and it like to a banker, like to to a friend, but to a banker. And and Gerald just asked, like, is there something wrong? Because <laughs> you called me several times, and Dad's like, oh, I butt dialed. And we we laughed about it. And Dad said, well, I'm just making you know making sure you know our collateral is still alive, our cows are still alive, because he could hear mooing in the background. Time passed, and the kids grew up and got married and had kids of their own. In recent years, Stanley made a few big changes. First. He and Gerald worked together to bring some of the kids into investing in the ranch. A few years later, Stanley did something that no one predicted, not even his wife, Joyce. He bought himself a motorcycle. Talking about the Harley, when he told me, and I had heard from somebody else that he had bought this two-wheeled Harley from uh, a neighbor, and... uh, (laughs) I said, what on earth, you know, and I I just like, are you kidding me? When he retired in 2016, Stanley bought himself a Harley Davidson 2002 as a gift. From then on, it wasn't uncommon to see Stan in the community looking for someone to ride motorcycles with. Bridget remembers often talking to him on the phone and he would end the conversation talking about his bike. And if it was nice enough, if he was usually out at the farm, but then he would say, I think I'm gonna go into town and." wait for somebody to ask me to go ride a motorcycle. And I better, I better be ready just in case. We've all said it, but it, it was a shock to us all, but you really saw his eyes light up when he talked about it. It was Thursday evening, August 8th, 2018, when Chad got the call. He was at home with his family in Minneapolis, decompressing after a baseball game. He saw he had a missed call from Bridget. Bridget had called me, and she's like, you got to come home. Dad's been in a bad accident. They learned Stanley had been riding his motorcycle on I-94. According to the North Dakota Highway Patrol crash report, it appeared he lost control of his motorcycle, entered the median, and was thrown from the bike. He had severe injuries and was rushed to Sanford Hospital in Fargo. Chad, his sisters, and Joyce were informed and rushed there as well, from all over North Dakota and Minnesota. Here's Chad. I live in Minneapolis, and so I got in the car and got the biggest uh, coffee I drink I could possibly find because it was probably about 10.30 at night when I left here, and I got there at about 1 o'clock, and it was an awful day. It was long. At first, the doctors said he likely wouldn't make it through the night, but then one of the doctors said things could get better. We'd, we'd gotten a diagnosis that he probably wasn't going to make it through the night. And then um doctor came back and 
that he, things were looked positive, and so, you know, to hold on, so. So they did. They waited and waited. If you've ever been in a hospital, you know it's not usually very comfortable. There's beeping machines, fluorescent lights, nurses and doctors hurrying to their patients. And when you have a loved one whose life is on the line, time ticking by is excruciating. This is what it was like for the Spitzer family as they waited by their father's side, hoping, praying. And yet, unfortunately, things did not get better. They knew they had to make a decision. You know, we went two weeks um, of basically holding vigil in a, in a Fargo hospital until it was decided that this is not the quality of life that you'd want to live. And so we needed to, we decided at the time that it was time to say goodbye. And um, I think it, obviously we all knew what had happened, but it really kind of hit me when we went past the, past the accident site. Cause it's right at the turn of when you get up going to Medina. And so, I don't know, it, it was just a long, it was a long three weeks. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. The phases of grief came in waves. And yet, as their hearts were wounded and grieving, the family was faced with a pressing question. What about the ranch? There were now over 180 cows with no one to regularly care for them. I think one of the biggest things from the ranching standpoint would have been... um, what do we do now? It's a farm, you know, it's not like not like a house, you know, you clean it out and you sell it. I mean, there's just, there's just an undertaking. And so they did what their father would have done. They went to Gerald. Here's Brittany. We relied a lot on Gerald's opinion on what we should do. We asked him, what would you do? What would you do? And he'd always say what I would do, you know, and that was a that was very helpful because we didn't know. We were, um, we were just looking for answers, and he was willing to say the stuff that we needed to hear. Beyond organizing the financial and practical logistics, Gerald was also able to help in the emotional transition as well. After all, the ranch was a part of Stan. Saying goodbye to the ranch was another part of saying goodbye to their father. You get this idea of, like, you know, this was dad's baby. This was dad's ranch. We don't want to, you know, initially it's kind of hurt to think for it to be gone. This is the last time we're going to see this, whatever. But when we met with Gerald, like Chad said, he was calm. And he also, I left with a feeling of this is going to be okay. This was not an easy process for Gerald. Stanley was his close friend. He was grieving too. Yet he wanted the four kids to know that they had help. Well, I get kind of emotional. Um, it was challenging, but I appreciate it that they all came. Um, I, I think the same thing. I go around that exit, I think of Stan a lot because I drive there a lot and I see that accident site. And, um, so it's one of those things. I don't know, you do what you got to do. And I guess when I told them I want to help and 
you know, I've been there, done that, where we have these situations and people always, we say those things to people, but nothing really happens. And I just wanted them to understand that I really meant it. I really did want help. The family knew they were going to need to sell their cattle. So with Gerald's help, they organized a Saturday morning to bring in their friends and neighbors to round up all the cattle. Gerald immediately offered to help. Early Saturday morning, Gerald and the Spitzer family gathered with their neighbors to help round up the cattle. And, and for the record, Gerald was there before any of us were. <laughs> we pulled up to the farm and he was already there. And, um, and to his credit, it was just, it was kind of unorganized for a while. And he just patiently stood by because I, I don't know, other people might have just like said, all right, let's just, let's just go. Let's just do this. But, um, he hung there and did, he was there till the end. With the help of Gerald, a group of family friends, and about 10 ATVs, the Spitzers were able to get the cattle rounded up and ready to be transferred to a new location in a matter of hours. Val, a coworker of Gerald's and a CSR loan assistant with Choice Bank, overheard the story. She felt proud that Gerald was not only able to help a grieving family, but to represent the people-first values that make Choice Bank who we are. Gerald just happened to mention he had been over there and helped. I just thought, well, that's exactly kind of a choice way of doing things. In our phone call, Joyce and all four kids were able to share their gratitude with Gerald in a way that makes it clear he's not just a banker. He's a friend. Looking back, realized, you know, that was really a benefit of having that kind of banker and that kind of bank, someone that's willing to do that, because you don't have to do that. No, um, I've noticed your, your bank's very lucky to have someone like Gerald working for you. He's not a banker, he's pretty much, he's, he's working for the community. Because I don't imagine he treats just our dad this way. I would imagine he, he no. treats everybody Mm-hmm. this way. I guess I have to say thank you for making uh, Stan's uh, his uh, life more enjoyable out on the farm. You gave him the, the ability to look for a better future and have a better future. Thank you. In his research on grief, Dr. Marvin G. Niddle, a professor of psychodrama and counseling, wrote about things to say and not to say to someone who is grieving. The best things to say, he says, are this. I'm so sorry for your loss. If there's anything I can do, please let me know. I'm just a phone call away. But most importantly, he concludes, it's this. Simply be physically present. This can be some of the most profound support of all. In walking through the assets on the ranch, calling the kids on the phone, and showing up that early Saturday morning to help round up the cattle, Gerald was doing exactly this, grieving with the family, missing their father, their friend, and simply being present together. This is what it means to be people first. This story is brought to you by Choice Bank, 
where we are people first. Being people first means we're there for you in all your most significant moments. The good moments and, as we saw in this story, the hard moments too. It means you matter, not just your banking, but who you are. You can find pictures and read more about this story when you go to bankwithchoice.com slash people first and look for the story titled Remembering Stanley. Experience people first banking for yourself with Choice Bank. Thanks for listening.